Please turn your Bibles to Psalm 66. We will focus this morning on verse 16 of Psalm 66. And it reads as follows. Come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. Let us pray. I am willing, Father, I come to you this morning to ask for your grace to expound your word and communicate it to the soul. And I pray this morning that you'll give us all understanding and that your blessing will flow to us uh, from this text in Jesus' name. Amen. You often hear conversation, conversations concerning the constitution of men. And if I may ask you today to say, how is a man comprised? Is he a mind, body, and soul? Some will even say, is he a spirit, body, and soul? But when we come to the Bible and we look at these terms, at the basic level, we can all agree that a man has a body and a soul. So the true understanding of the constitution of man, at least, is that he has a body and a soul. But someone once made me to understand even it, to understand it even deeper, that at the same time, we don't have to come and say, a man has a soul. We have to say, a man is a soul and he has a body. And as you sit here today, and even as I prepared, I was elevated in worship, knowing that I'm going to speak to souls who have bodies. And when you look at men today, you can see that so much emphasis is stressed on the body. And man has forgotten that he is, he is a soul and he has a body. What will matter on the last day is what you have done for your soul. What have you done about your soul? And when you read the Bible, it does not even elevate the flesh that much. The Bible does not elevate the constitution of man, which is the body. Even when you come to the book of Genesis, as I also uh, studied, you realize that when we are said to be created in the image of God, the image part of us is what has to do with the soul. It is our soul which reflects the image of God in us. Let me ask you a question, uh, which many people might even wonder. Do the monkeys and the baboons look like us or do we look like them? When you come to think of it, 
They don't look like us. We look like them. For God created them first. And when he formed us, we were created like them in our appearances. But when it comes to man, when he is said to be created in the image of God, it is because he has a soul. When you look at the whole creation before the sixth day, there was nothing which had a soul like the soul of man. There was nothing which was created in the image of God. Therefore, we see that man is greatly esteemed by God. And it is this morning that I come to speak to the church about your soul. If we agree that there is nothing that God has created like the human soul, why is it? Why is it that the soul is highly esteemed by God? And when we come to the book of the Psalms, at least I can point out one thing, which is the theme of the book of the Psalms, uh, to praise the Lord, that it is only man who can praise God as he is. It is only man who can come to a comprehension of the knowledge of God in such a way that he can give worship which is worthy of the Creator. So, as we have observed from verse 16 of chapter 16 of, of the book of Psalms, I'm going to, we, we are going to observe an outline of two things. That the psalmist is giving a call. He is saying, come, come and hear. He gives a plea to say before the people of God to come and listen to what he has to say. Have you ever heard of anything in the hall of creation which has said, come and listen? Come and listen, you who fear God. And then the second thing, he gives a promise to say, as you come to hear, I will do something. What is it that he says he will do in the second part of the verse? He says, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. So we can see here that the psalmist is in worship. And the book of Psalms is a call to worship. To say, church, the people of God, all you here, all you who have ears to hear, all you who have feet to come, come and hear and I will tell of what God has done for my soul. So as I was uh, looking at this verse, observing uh, the whole of the psalms, the whole psalm in its entirety, I began to make observation from verse 1 to verse 4. I formed a unit in verse 5 to verse 7, and then 4 to verse 8 to verse 15, that it seems as if the psalmist has divided this psalm in four parts. Though this morning we are going to focus primarily on verse 16. But you look that the psalmist is saying, Come, he's, shout, he's saying, Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. So you can see that his scope starts from uni universal, if you can put it that way. Saying, All the earth, come and shout to God. 
come and sing to the glory of his name. And then for he, he narrows the scope. And then he focuses on the nation of Israel. He focuses on what God has done for them in the past. And then he says, come and see the works of God, who is awesome. In, in verse 5, who is awesome in his deeds towards the sons of men. So the psalmist is reminded of God's saving power, of God's save, saving grace when he, delivers the nation, when he delivered the nation of Israel from Egypt and, and crossed them through the Red Sea and caused wetland into dry land for them to cross. So he then focuses into a nation. And therefore he comes again from verse 8 uh, up to verse 15. And then he says, Bless our God, O peoples, and sing his praise abroad, who gives us life. For you have tried us, O God. So now he's coming to give a testimony of a people. His testimony now is coming to be broadened again. Even within the nation, there are people of God. And on this final part from verse 16 to the end of the psalm, he comes to be personal. To say, yes, God can be, can be glorified. God can be praised based on what he has done universally, based on what he has done for a nation, and based on what he has done for a group of, of, of a people, like the church as it is, as Grace Bible Church is, we can still praise the Lord of, for what he has done for us as a body. But within the body, the psalmist then comes to say, one person can stand up as I am standing up before you this morning. And this person can come to, 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 to call those who are within the body to come and be his audience. And then he can be so specific that he can tell of a testimony of what the Lord has done for him personally. And therefore, he even gives a scope of what he will talk about. He says, I will tell of what the Lord has done for my soul. So this morning, I want to focus our attention to this testimony that the psalm wants to give, that it is the testimony of a redeemed soul, that he is glorifying God in giving a testimony of what God has done for his soul. But first, I would also like to, to bring your attention to what the psalmist has already highlighted in the previous verses. That the psalmist seems to give a guidance on what he has done uh, on, the, on, the, on the previous verses. To say, as you tell of the works of God, this is the pattern which you can follow. If you observe, if, even as we read this morning, you'll realize that from the first part of verses 1 to verse 4, he tells of what the Lord has done, will do in the future. 
He says, Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing to the, to the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how glorious are your works. Because of your greatness, of your power, your enemies will feign obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. He reflects on what the Lord will do in the future. And as he comes to the second part, he also reflects that the Lord has also done something in the past. So already he's stirring up worship based on what the Lord has done, will do in the future. And now he comes also to focus on what the Lord has done in the past. And as you observe further, as we move from verse 8 to verse 15, he predominantly focuses on the present. To say, also focus on what the Lord is doing in the present. And he has shown that he will re respond to what the Lord is doing for him in the present with sacrifices. He will respond with total commitment. So as we observe this, therefore we have reason also, even as we observe from verse 16, as he comes to a personal testimony that it is based on the promises of God in the, that he has made in the future. It is based on the works of God which he has done in the past and it is based on focusing on what the Lord is doing for you now. And I can even pose it as a question to you personally to say, do you know what the Lord has in store for your soul in the future? Do you have a hope? Do you have the promises of God which are, 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 are gripping you, which are holding you today, which you are looking forward to? What does your future look like? What will happen to your soul when you die? Do you know what God has in store for you? The psalmist focuses on that in this psalm. He has eyes which do not only look for now, but which also look But the psalmist also has eyes which look in the past, to look at what God has done in the past. And I can also come to you and ask you personally to say, do you know what God has done for sinners? Do you know what God has done for you as a sinner today? And the psalmist, specifically when he looks in the past, he focuses on the time when God saved the nation of Israel. And he seems to come to this point and look at that and say, let us praise God for that. Can you tell me of a past historical event that the Lord has done, which you look at and say, I will praise him for that. For in that event, that's where I found my hope and comfort. That's where I find, that, that, that is where I placed my faith. So the psalmist does that as he gives this testimony and even as he will continue to give his personal testimony 
And still I can even ask you to say, what has the Lord done for you lately? For we see here, even in verse 8 up to verse 15, that he is focusing on the present. If you are a believer today, and if I, I ask you, what has the Lord done, done for you lately? You will hear the psalm here, here saying in verse 9, verse 8 and 9 says, Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad, who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. So we can see that this God is everywhere. This God is in the future. This God is in the past. And this God is in the present. He is holding even the saints that they will not slip. And the psalmist, therefore, and therefore it is our song too as well, it is our testimony as well that we come also to glorify God for what he has, he has been doing for us presently. For we know that we are not able even to keep ourselves. For you read, going down in verse 10, 11, he says, For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You have brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. And it is this very God in the present who keeps giving relief. And the psalmist praises him, praises him for that. And now we come to verse 16. And then he says, come. And here, he's making a plea for a hearing before the people of God. And the question which I may ask to say, why does he become specific as to say, the people of God? The psalmist wants to praise. And he, wants, he specifically wants to do that before the people of God. And if you are here this morning and you haven't had this experience where you have found yourself to be the people of God and say, I want to tell you of what the Lord has done for me. I believe this sermon will be very helpful for you. Because here I, I, I believe we are finding a guideline and I believe here we are even finding wisdom as to how best to glorify God with, for what he has done for our souls. So what is it that we have to do according to these very verses? You have to speak. And as we are already in the community of God, by this verse I believe we are commanded to, to listen. To say, he's saying, come. And if he wants them to hear, it means he wants them to. It means that he himself will be speaking. So the psalmist is, the, the, this believer is exalting God with the, with the words of his lips. He wants to tell of what God has done. And he specifically says, those who fear God. 
those who have come into a right knowledge of Him, those who know Him to be their God. Therefore, we can see here that the benefit will be that they will be able to make they will be able to make a judgment of that which he will say. And then he says, I will tell of what he has done for my soul. And even as I, when I started this sermon to, by telling that you are a soul and you have a body. And therefore, we see that even from the beginning and even as we we, we pace through the pages of scripture. I was delighted to hear that the ladies are meeting and in discussing holy war. And if I can make just one simple question to say, what is the war about? And who is the war between? And as we observe John Bunyan's holy war, we see that the war is between God and Satan. And if I may ask, what is it that they are fighting for? They are fighting for, soul, for a soul. The soul of man. Why is it that they will fight for a soul of man? I don't remember from whom I, I, I heard it from. I just saw a quote. And I don't remember whom it was accredited to. But the person said, Think of how precious a soul is that both God and Satan wants it. Why is it that even from the beginning they are fighting for a soul? What makes it precious? And as you observe in the, in the scriptures, even from, from Genesis chapter 3 and chapter, chapter 4, you see that a soul is created in a sense that it was created for worship. A soul was created in such a way that it is eternal. That is something that differentiates our soul from our bodies, is that our bodies die, but your soul will never die. Your soul lives forever. But the Bible still comes and says, a soul that sins will die. Therefore, a soul cannot die and a soul can still die. How therefore does that happen? A soul cannot die in the sense that it will, it will exist forever. You will never cease to be conscious of your existence. But at the same time, a soul dies the moment it is separated from the presence of God. A soul dies the very moment it ceases to function the way God has created it to function. We are created to be moral. We are created to be rational beings. We are created to be relational. To be in a relation, loving relationship with the Creator. And the moment we, are, we fall into sin, we no longer function in the same way that God has created us. But look how passionate God is with a soul in that he does not let it die. Angels themselves 
our souls in a sense, even though we are a human soul is different from a from a spirit which is an angel, but they too are intellectual, they too are moral, they too are relational. But us, we came into a sense which God has created us in a more elevated way than the angels. And he shows so much love to us than the angels. I do it sometimes when we are even singing our books, uh, our songs from our song books. To say, what kind of songs do we sing here that angels cannot sing? Angels can still praise God for what he has done uh, in creation. They can praise him for creating the mountains and the animals and the, and the, and the plants. They can create him for, what he, for, for his creation of the stars and all the hosts of heaven. They can, they can praise him for all that he has created in the physical realm. They can even praise him for what he has done when he created us. And we can still do that. But can an angel praise God for what he has done in the work of redemption? For when angels sinned, God did not redeem them. They cannot look in the future the demons who have fallen and have a hope of praising God for the work of salvation, for they have no promises. They cannot look in the past and remember a time when God has done a saving work for them. And they cannot look in the present and see that God indeed is throwing them out. They do not have this testimony. They do not have this, this, this grace of can say, come and hear, you who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. Therefore I looked and I invite you to look at this passage to say, can you think of a way, can you think of, an, of a worship which is more elevated than the worship of this redeemed soul? Even when you look at the, all the creation of God up until this day, you do not see God using so much resources, dedicating so much passion and time. You do not see God pouring out his love more than when he is redeeming a fallen soul. And therefore God has even honored man in that we can stand in the, into, the, into the presence of each other and still tell of what he has done, but more so be personal and tell of what he has done for our souls. So I ask you this morning, and I bring, his, bring it to us, even believers, to say, it is this our, is this our practice where we are mostly delighted and looking forward for the next time that God will give us an opportunity of telling of what he has done 
for our soul in our, in, our, in our redemption, in saving us. The psalmist then gives a, an example, as it does that in verse 17, if you may turn your attention to Psalm 66, verse 17. And then he tells of what happened in the past. He says, I cried to him with, with my mouth, and he was exalted with my tongue. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. He comes to the presence. He has come to a place where he sees his wickedness and he abhors abhors it. He says, but certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. And I would like to end with this point, that to come to a place where we can now come and give a testimony of what the Lord has done for our souls. The psalm here shows us that we have to come from a place where we have first come to speak to God himself about what he has done for us. The psalmist, before he gives a public testimony, he was coming from a place where he had a private conversation, a private prayer with God. And we can see here that he was, he was enlightened in his mind as to the character of God. He was enlightened as to the person of God and how he used him and his sin. For the psalmist is giving a testimony of God's loving kindness in redeeming him from his sinfulness. So I would like to hang uh, this in your mind, at least with four points that are helpful in prayer. And you will realize that in the same way that you speak to God in prayer, will even inform the way that you can give your testimony as you tell of what the Lord has done for your soul. For we see that when we speak to God, we speak to Him about Him. We first have to come into a, a place where we see Him in His character and adore Him for who He is. So the first thing is to adore Him as God as He is. So the first thing is adoration. Do you, have you come to a place where you see God as in His loving kindness and, he, and in His mercy? It is unfortunate that when people talk about the mercy and the love of God, they emphasize that so much that they don't come to receive it coming from a place of saying, He is also a God who is a judge. He is a God of justice. He is a God of wrath. He hates sin with a wrath and it is his passion to destroy it. That is where we will come even to come to a place to understand his love and mercy That instead of casting my soul away, he has chosen to act in loving kindness, in mercy, in receiving me. So we have to come to a place, a soul has to be humbled to come to a place where it can say, 
I see God as He is, and I will praise Him, and I will glorify Him as He is. And when we come to a place where we face God as He is revealed Himself in Scripture, the only, the only response which is fitting according to the according to the teachings of the Bible is to is humility. And this humility will show in confession. Even as you observe here, the psalmist does not does not excuse his sin. He calls it wickedness. If I regard my wickedness in my heart. So the psalmist is saying is coming to a place of confession to say, I have sinned. I see God exalted, holy, and, and, and pure, and I'm not deserving to dwell with him, for I have, I have wickedness. And then he comes to a place of confession. And then he is comforted. And then he says, but certainly God has had. He has given heed to my prayer. And that will produce a heart of thanksgiving. He will come to a place of thanksgiving. That is the thing. Thanksgiving. He has conversation with God concerning thanksgiving for what he has done. This is where the psalm, this is the point where now we move to the solution. To say, God is holy, I am not. I cannot dwell with him. And the solution is that God must take away my sin. And how has God done that? And he has done it at the cross. This is what the testimony is about. I've seen God and I'm frightened. I cannot dwell with him because of the wickedness which is in my heart. And I have come to a place where now I am afraid. And God himself must act in his mercy. And he has done that. This is where now we look in the heart to say what he has done for us on the cross. What he has brought down for sinners on the cross. God has now taken his son and poured out his wrath, his judgment upon him so that he can be accepted. So that you can be accepted. This is where the hope of the psalmist lies to say on what God has done in the past. And this is the way to say we look back. The saints of old look forward towards what God will do in the, in the, in the future on the cross. And the New Testament saints look back at what God has done in the cross where his son was slain for sinners where he, loved, he, he, he willingly took the place of sinners so that sinners can take his place before the father and be accepted and he leads us lastly to a place of making a petition the psalmist is coming by himself you will notice that he does not come to the people who fear God to say, 
so that they can speak for him. He speaks and they listen. He tells them of his experience, what has happened between him and God. So that is the testimony of the believer. He is telling of what God has done for him. And he is telling of how he has responded. And he has responded by humbling himself before God and asking for this message. He asked to be accepted. And he trusted in the character of God that he will not turn anyone away. And that is the call today. And that is the promise to say, if those who fear God, if God will not turn the prayer of, of, a, of a returning sinner away, how then will those who fear God turn those who want to come here to him away? They will not turn him away. But what might turn him away? You will have noticed that the psalmist speaks of commitment from verse 8 to verse 15. He outlines things that he will do for the Lord when he is accepted. And he's saying these things after he has been accepted. That he will make bent offerings. He will, he will, he will keep his vows. He knows that he must respond with a heart of gratitude. And let that not be what turns you away today. And I believe it will not. To say these things are not requirements for salvation, but they flow out of a heart which is responding with gratitude for what the Lord has done for our souls. The Lord has done it all. And these things are as nothing. They are no sacrifice at all. And it is God who even provides them. It is God who enables the believers to even go forward in carrying them out. So I believe that we're encouraged in our souls this morning. And I believe that we have a good model before us to say it begins with private knowledge of God and responding to His grace and His mercy and responding to His work that He has done in the past in the person of Jesus Christ in dying for sinners. And it is consummated or it is even the, the climax is when you stand before those who fear God and you give this testimony of what he has done for you and how you have responded. And then he ends and says, blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor his love.